Amen. It's such a joy to gather with you all and to sing praise to Jesus. As we continue our morning together, we're going to spend some time now uh, giving attention to the Word of God. And this morning, what we're going to be hearing about is the hope that we have in God because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because Jesus was raised from the dead, Christians are able to make this claim. Hope is alive. Now, I know you probably thought I was going to say he is risen. So let's just get it out of the way. Ready? One, two, three. He is risen. All right, there we go. Well, we are so glad to gather. We're going to be talking today about how hope is alive and we will consider that this morning as we look at a portion of scripture from 1 Peter chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up there. Uh, you could also scan the QR code throughout the seating area and the verses you can find there. We would love to give you today a gift of a, a Bible. If you'd like to grab one on your way out and take one home with you, we'd love to give you a, a Bible. So as you're doing that, turning there to the scripture, I'd love to give you a special welcome if this is your first time. Thank you for being here. Um, I'm sure the family members and the friends that invited you are so glad that you've joined with them. And my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary Chapel Palace Verdes. And my wife, Leah, and our two kids are inside the gym, probably having a pretty epic time with all the kiddos. And our family moved here to Palace Verdes this summer to start this church. And it's been an incredible journey as we have watched God establish this church, and he's moved with power in this time, in this place, and with the people. I mean, it's the people that gather every week with us as a church. We love you guys. It has been so good as we have grown in knowing one another, and this is our first Easter together as a church. Yeah. You know, there's something so wonderful about first experiences. And my wife, our family, uh, we're expecting another child in August. And I can't wait to see all the first things in his life. And so if this is your first time, I think that there's just something so wonderful about that. And the best part about it is it's a first time for all of us as we celebrate as a local church with many more to come. This, however, obviously is not the first Easter because for nearly 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have been celebrating Resurrection Sunday, remembering how Jesus conquered death and brought, a, brought about a living hope for those who believe. And so settle in. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 now. Let me read that. It says, Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So this letter that is being written is from Peter, who was one of the apostles of Jesus Christ. And if you read the Gospels, like Mark, for instance, which we've been going through on Sunday mornings, um, we see that Peter had quite the personality, you know. It was kind of a wild card. There were times when Peter got it really right, and then there were times when he just got it wrong. And I think that many of us can relate to that. But Peter was also a great leader, and Jesus saw that in him. Peter was used in great ways in the early church. He got to be part of all the firsts. 
including preaching the first sermon to the church where 3,000 people were saved. Uh, He got to lead the first Gentile to faith in Jesus. But we can also recall how Peter tried to keep Jesus back from going to the cross. Or how Peter denied Jesus three times right before he was crucified, saying, "I I don't even know that guy. But then we remember how the Lord, after he was raised from the dead, how in his kindness, he restored Peter. You see, a change happened in Peter's life when Jesus rose from the dead. And the change, in a sense, was a process as Peter walked with Jesus for three years. But in another sense, it was in an instant. When after seeing Jesus alive from the dead, Peter became an entirely different man. And so that's Peter, and he's the one who's writing this letter that we're looking at today. He refers to himself in the opening greeting as an apostle, which simply means to be a messenger on behalf of another. And Peter was a messenger, a a delegate of King Jesus. And as a messenger of Jesus, he delivered the message of the gospel. And that is the good news about what Jesus did by dying on a cross and being buried And that three days later, he rose from the dead. And this is historical record. These events took place in history as Jesus came from heaven to earth and lived among us. But more than just a historical record, these truths called the gospel have with it eternal and spiritual ramifications. And Peter was changed at the core of his being by these events of history, and so have many others, myself included, and I'm sure many out here today who have gathered with us. We have been changed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are a different people because of it. Amen? Amen. And so Peter, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, an eyewitness to the risen Christ, he's writing this letter under the inspiration of God. Because we believe that these words in our Bibles are living as they testify to a living God. And so who's he writing to? He's writing to the elect exile. This is a very meaningful name that was given to those early Christians, the recipients of this letter that he was writing to. These were God's people, God's saved children. And Peter refers to them as God's elect. And to be elect means that you have been chosen. God chose these people to be his children. They have received God as their father through the work of the Son of God as the Spirit has given them the ability to believe. But why does he call them exiles? The reason Peter addresses them in this way is that many Christians at that time had been scattered from their homes. Peter calls them exiles in a literal sense because these Christians had been driven from their homes and from their families because of persecution that had come upon the early church. They were now living in different regions like Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Yet these places were not their homeland. And because of the scattering of these believers, a lot of things got disrupted in their lives. Their families, their homes, their work, their community all changed seemingly overnight. And perhaps you can relate to that kind of disruption that sometimes happens in life. 
but I think he calls them elect exiles also in a spiritual sense. You see, the earth is not home for Christians, but heaven is our home. And the reality is that once we become believers in Jesus Christ, we become exiles. We become sojourners, people that are just passing through. We don't ever really settle down here because we are going home. And we know that our home is in heaven. And if you're a Christian, then you've realized this to be true. You've realized that you have, in a sense, a dual citizenship. You know, for many people, they enjoy the privilege of having dual citizenship. Maybe, uh, for instance, you might be German and you have citizenship in Germany. And yet you're also American and you have citizenship here and you have the, the privilege and the blessing of enjoying the citizenship of both places and you can identify with both places. And in a very similar way, Christians have a dual citizenship. We are citizens here on earth, which we should be good citizens at that, right? But we are also citizens of heaven. And we should have a loose grip on the things of this earth because this is not our final dwelling place. We know that we have another home, one in heaven that is prepared by Jesus. And so this letter of 1 Peter really speaks to that experience that Christians feel of living in that tension, of being people who are both here on earth and yet longing for heaven. As Christians, we really do live as exiles, God's chosen people headed toward our home in heaven, trying to navigate here on earth. And so we've established that this letter's from Peter and it's written to the elect exiles. And now we're going to look deeper into what it means to be a Christian. And what is this living hope that Christians have? Verse 2 says, we are elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. Now that might seem like a mouthful of words to you and perhaps words that you've never heard before. And so let me take all of those words I just read and consolidate them down into just one word. Trinity. The word Trinity isn't found in your Bible. However, the reality of the Trinity, which is God's nature, who God is as a father and a son and a Holy Spirit is all over the scriptures. And Peter just sort of weaves it right into the fabric of scripture here, speaking of the nature of God in a very simple way. Because the Bible reveals that there is one God who exists in three persons. He has revealed himself as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in this verse, we see how God works together to accomplish our salvation. We see the Father's foreknowledge. The Father plans the work. We see the Son's cleansing blood. The, the Son accomplishes the work. And we see the Spirit's sanctification. The Spirit applies the work. And the work that I'm speaking of is the work of salvation. I'm speaking of the fact that on your own, you are lost without God. The Bible is very clear that we are sinners, if you're a human being, in need of salvation. And the Bible teaches that God has a rescue plan, a plan to save you. 
The Father plans it, the Son accomplishes it, and the Holy Spirit applies it. And this morning, I'm confident of this very fact. That if you do not know God as your personal Savior, that today He is willing and able to save you. I believe God plans on every single person that is here, He plans on you being here this morning. So that God could do his saving work in you. And this morning you'll have an opportunity to ask God for the hope that is found in Jesus. And to receive a gift this Easter. The greatest gift that's ever been given which is the gift of hope. And so Peter goes on in his greeting by saying may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And the word grace always comes before peace in the Bible. And the reason for this is because you can't have peace with God until you first received the grace of God. You can't do any work to earn your salvation. That's fundamental to the faith of Christianity. You do nothing to earn your salvation. God does all the work, and we simply receive it as a gift from him. Salvation comes by grace, and when we receive it, peace will flood into your life. And so let's look now at verse 3 where it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so Peter, with passion, just pouring out, can't help but bless the Father for sending the Son. He's thankful for the mercy of God. And then Peter talks about the way that we've been saved. By using a term that is completely unique to the Bible. You saw there it says that we have been born again. He caused us to be born again to a living hope. And Jesus spoke about being born again in John chapter 3. One night a Pharisee, which was a religious leader of that time, came to Jesus at night with some questions it seems that Nicodemus was curious about Jesus. He, he heard some of his teachings. He sensed that this man, Jesus, had something really unique about him, that God was with him and he wanted to know more. And so in this conversation that Nicodemus is having with Jesus, Jesus answered him in John chapter 3, verse 3 through 6, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Just like many people today don't understand, like Nicodemus, what Jesus meant when he said, you must be born again. We see Nicodemus in kind of a uh, laughable kind of way, ask Jesus if, it, if he should get back into his mother's womb. But to explain, Jesus says, all of us have been born of water. And what that speaks of is that we have all come from the water of our mother's womb. But the second is that, we've all, that is that we all need to have a second birth, a spiritual birth. 
And if you're going to be born again, it's not going to come from your mother. It's not going to come from any person, any man, but it will happen by the Holy Spirit. Now listen, I, I know that this might seem basic here, but, but my first birth made me a child of my parents. It made me a Hendrickson. My mom is Karen, and my dad is Eric, and I was born as their child. Uh, I married Leah, and our children are Kennedy and Caleb with another to be born. However, it is the second birth that made me a child of God. I was born again by the Spirit so that I could be placed into the family of God. And how does that happen? Well, Jesus answered that as well, saying to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. He said, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is who everyone is born of the spirit. Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, just like you can't see the wind, you don't have to see everything in order to believe it. That's why faith is necessary. And you've seen the wind and you believe it because you've seen, for instance, uh, the leaves shake within the trees as the wind passes through. Or you felt the wind come across your face. Maybe you're even feeling that wind right now. We could use a little bit more to cool us down. But yesterday, it was a little bit more windy. And yesterday, from this eucalyptus tree, a huge branch fell down into our parking lot. And I'm so glad that my car wasn't parked under it. And, and, and we've all seen and we've all heard the effects of wind, right? And the spirit is very much the same way. You can't see him with your physical eyes. However, you can see and hear his effects, how he changes people, how he advances the work of God. You can see how a, a, a church, for instance, is birthed in the middle of a pandemic. You can see, for instance, how God makes a natural person a spiritual person. And that when a person is born again, they become a new creature. As 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. And anyone can believe this. You can believe this. I encourage you this morning that if you haven't yet believed this truth about Jesus, you haven't been born again, that you would ask God the Father, who again planned on you being here this morning in his foreknowledge, to set you apart by the Holy Spirit, because it's only the Holy Spirit that can help you believe. And that by coming to Jesus, the Son of God, that you would be cleansed by his blood because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. His blood was shed on a cross for you so that you could now walk in obedience with God. And God is willing and able to do that with any person here this morning. And now notice Peter adds another layer to being born again. It says that he has been born again to a living hope. See, the hope that we have in Christians is a living hope because we come, it comes from a living God, right? Jesus was raised from the dead, therefore we have a living hope. Hope is not dead. Hope is alive because our hope is in Jesus. And not everybody can say that. 
you know, other religions, other people believe maybe in other gods or other ideologies. But for most religions or all religions other than Christianity, their leader is either dead or they never lived at all. Jesus is the only savior of mankind who is eternal and who came to earth and lived among us and made a way for salvation rather than we earning salvation. And he rose from the dead and no other religious leader, no other God could make that claim. That is what sets Jesus apart. And that is why we have been born again to a living hope because it is being born again to a living God. For those who believe hope is alive because hope is found in a resurrected Savior who promised the same resurrection power to us when we believe, both now and for when we die. And then verse 4 says that we have been raised to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade, reserved in heaven for you. Now, Christians have an inheritance in heaven. Do you ever think about inheritances? You know, maybe you have a distant relative and you wonder if one day perhaps there's going to be some money that comes to you. And there's some really great inheritance stories out there. There was a woman who was a waitress that received $500,000 from a regular customer in her restaurant. There was a Portuguese aristocrat, I just love that, who, who chose 70 people at random from a phone book to give away his inheritance. There was one teenager that received a private island from an estranged grandfather. All the teenagers are out there like, I could use that right now. There was one woman who gave the majority of her inheritance to her dog and then told her own children that if they wanted their portion of the inheritance, they needed to care for the dog by giving it daily manicures and puppy massages. <laughs> See, these inheritance stories found on Google, whether true or not, they're funny, but all of them have something in common, which is that the people who received the inheritance did nothing to receive it, especially the dog, right? And the other aspects of these stories is that these things that were received were all perishable. Money, an island, spa days with your puppy uh, would all be nice to have, but Jesus has an inheritance that is much better. Notice that Peter doesn't actually speak about what our inheritance is, but he speaks about what it is not. It is not corruptible. It is not defiled. It is not fading. Everything that we know now that is good uh, pales in comparison to what we'll have in heaven. We have nothing here on earth that depicts accurately what we will experience when we go to heaven in glory. You know, the, the apostle John wrote the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, and he tried with the very best language that he knew how to describe heaven, and yet it even comes up short in describing it. And notice who it is that gets this inheritance. It says there that it's for you. And Peter explains what he means when he says you in verse 5. You who by the power of God are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So it is those who have been saved through faith that get this inheritance. And it's kept secure. And if you believe in Jesus, you are kept secure. So that in secure hand of God, one day you will experience that inheritance in heaven. Now, 
this could certainly cause somebody to think, I could use a little early inheritance, right? Life kind of sucks down here. Like, I could really cash in on some of that. Notice verse 6 and 7 that Peter speaks about the reality of what we often experience here on this earth. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, these might seem like a lot of words, but what Peter is simply talking about is that heaven is the only secure hope. And he's real about what we have to endure here on this earth. The Bible does not shy away from the fact that if we are to be partakers of glory, then we might also be partakers of suffering. We can rejoice in our inheritance in heaven even while we're going through the most difficult things here on earth because life is only for a little while. And then heaven is for a long while. Well, as we come to an end now, look at verses 8 and 9. Talking about Jesus, Peter continues to say, Jesus, whom you have not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your salvation, uh, end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. You know, Peter was able to see Jesus. He lived on the earth with him. And what a blessing that must have been to be, be able to behold and to feel and to touch and to see the Son of God. But after Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended to heaven, which means that that's where he is. The Bible does say that he's coming back again. Amen? And the way to prepare for his second coming is that you receive his first coming. You believe it by faith. But look, those of us who believe in Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, you believe in something that you cannot see, but you love him. There's something so powerful and beautiful about that statement. We give our entire lives as Christians for someone who we have not physically seen. And it's actually for this very reason that some people find it very hard to believe. And yet I can believe the testimony of those who did see him. I believe the testimony is of man all the time. I told you earlier that a massive tree fell from that eucalyptus tree. And that it was right here in our parking lot. And there were a couple people here this morning who saw it. And who moved it. And you don't see it right now. I don't see that branch anywhere. But you believe the testimony that there was a branch here fallen on the ground this morning. You believe the testimonies of mankind all the time. How much greater then is the testimony of God concerning his son Jesus. That he came to the earth. That he lived a perfect and sinless life. That he died on a cross for your sin. And I'm sure you can believe that you have sin. He died on a cross for your sin. He was buried into a tomb that had never had anyone in it before. And three days later, he rose from the dead and appeared to over 500 witnesses. We don't even have 500 people here this morning, but could you imagine if everybody here saw Jesus and all agreed that he was alive? 
It's hard to get anybody today to agree on anything. But 500 people all said with proofs, many proofs that Jesus was alive. I can believe that testimony. See, my faith in Jesus, yes, it is faith. I don't see Jesus, but it is real. It is real because it is based upon real facts, upon real history. But our faith has to move beyond history. It has to move beyond fact. It needs to come into the core of our being. It needs to change us spiritually. We need to be born again to a living hope. And that is what God wants to do in you today. The course of human history has been changed because of the historical truth of Jesus. And even still, it requires belief. Following Jesus requires faith. And even though I have not seen him with my eyes, I believe that he is real and I believe that he loves me and therefore I love him. Can you say the same thing? With faith in Jesus, can you say, I have a living hope because I have been born again? John chapter 20, Jesus said, Blessed are those who do not see me and still believe. Hebrews 11 defines faith as the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We walk by faith and not by sight, and without faith it is impossible to please God, and you cannot actually know God unless you have faith. By faith we know who God is, by faith we love God, although we have never seen him, and by faith we rejoice with inexpressible joy, even in the midst of difficulty, because we know where we're going. By faith, we live as elect exiles, longing for our heavenly home. Romans 8.24 says, for, by, for we were saved in this hope. But hope that is, not, that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? Even though you do not see Jesus rise from the dead, you can believe that the testimony of the Bible is true. I hope that you would be able to believe my testimony of how I've been changed as a person. I hope you'd be able to believe Peter's testimony and the many other testimonies that are out here today that will tell you that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are a changed people. So if you believe upon Jesus today as the resurrected Savior, you will be born again to a living hope. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are alive from the dead. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are able to change us. Father, I thank you that you planned for every single person that is here that they would be here. Lord, let that settle in to the hearts and minds of those gathered right now. You planned on them being here. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, you would do your work of speaking right into the core of those people who are here who have not yet believed and say, believe in Jesus. Believe that testimony about him. He can change you. He can make you a new creature. You can be born again. You can enter into a new family. You can be given a new and living hope in Jesus today. Holy Spirit, speak those words and plant them into hearts and then Jesus do what only you can do Jesus would you cleanse that person right now with your blood remove their sin 
Like the morning mist, would it be gone? Would the sun shine with your radiant warmth of love? And would those people today know that you love them? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we pray you would cause some who are gathered here to be born again to a living hope. You do it, Lord. In Jesus' name.